Welcome to Care More, Be Better, a podcast for people like you who care about the social impact of conscious companies and everyday heroes. Hear inspiring stories from those who put people and planet before profit and personal gain. You'll learn how you can make a difference, vote with your dollars, and get involved today. Here's your host, Karina Belizzi. Hello, fellow do-gooders and friends. I'm your host, Karina Belizzi, an activist and cause marketer who's passionate about social impact and sustainability. This will be our 21st guest interview. At the time we record this show in mid-May, we've already released 17 shows, topped 6,400 downloads and listens, and we've been on the charts in the U.S., France, Denmark, India, Indonesia, Singapore, Hong Kong, and Australia. I share this because I'm proud of what we're doing together to reach a global audience while telling stories that really matter. The entire purpose of this show is to put more good into the world, and that's not a regional task. It's global. Wherever you are in the world, I invite you to join our community. You can visit our website to subscribe to our mailing list and stay informed of upcoming episodes and events, including weekly sessions that I host in real time, voice to voice on Clubhouse. Links to our site and all our social platforms are in show notes as always. If you like what we're doing, you can support the show by writing a review and subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. Remember too that this show is not backed by the companies we feature or any advertisers. Care More Be Better is a community-first and listener-supported environment. To become a member and support the show, visit caremorebebetter.com and click the donate button. This week, I'd like to start with a few questions. Have you ever been to the dump? You know where the garbage trucks unload. What did you think? How did you feel? What was it like for you to see, hear, and smell the mounds of trash around you? I remember the first time my dad took me to the dump, and all I could think was, how on earth can we keep doing this? I remember seeing the appliances shoved in one area, and I distinctly remember the smell of a rotting orange. Now, when you think about this, how do we limit our waste? Where should we even start? To help us unpack all of this, I'm joined by Kelsey Rumberg. Kelsey helps entrepreneurs build businesses that seek solutions to environmental, economic, and social issues. She recently wrote a book that encourages businesses to explore a new wave of eco-friendly entrepreneurship by leveraging our trash. Her book, Trash to Treasure, is an explorer's perspective. It invites the curious to think differently and dream big. Kelsey, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Karina. I'm so excited to speak with you more today. So I'd like to just start by telling your journey. What was it that made you to decide to pursue this line of work specifically and write a book about it from trash to treasure? My journey starts in a young age. I grew up on a farm and was always kind of interested in the environment. I'm fortunate enough that my mom had always kind of chosen to recycle and compost at home, but I didn't really realize the impact trash was having and how kind of it was at such a global scale until I remember I was living in Singapore and I went to the Philippines for a holiday. And I went to Boracay, which is a popular tourist island. At the time, I just remember seeing trash kind of everywhere on the beach and realizing that that was something that a lot of tourists we had done and just not been mindful of the footprint we were having, both as tourists on that island, 
but also that trash was coming from everywhere. It wasn't just coming from that island. And so I really kind of realized the impact we were having on our environment and started to think more about what can we do to change this? As an economist, I kind of saw that and was confused because in my mind, trash is still a resource. It still has value. We just have to think about how do we use it differently. That kind of led me on this journey of thinking about one, how can I reduce my own trash personally, but also how can we as businesses start thinking differently about how we see trash and use trash? Because it's really actually like a major economic problem, not just an environmental problem. And so I just kind of started thinking about how can trash be a gold mine instead of a waste product per se. So if you had one wish, like where would you start with that? Would it be at the sorting facility or in our own homes? How do you see that? It's important to kind of think about what is the individual potential for trash versus what is kind of the business potential for trash. Part of it is businesses kind of recognizing, hey, I produce this waste product. Instead of me having to pay to ship it to a landfill, who can I find that actually needs this? or need something similar, you know, have this actually as a revenue stream rather than as a cost to our business. In the business sense, it's about thinking creatively with what you have as waste products. In an individual sense, I think it's really about, yes, as individual consumers, we can get more mindful about our recycling and making sure that we're not wish cycling or recycling things that can't actually, trying to recycle things that can't actually be recycled. And we can have certainly better sorting in our facilities, in our recycling facilities. But we also can ask companies, hey, does this need to be shipped in like a bunch of plastic? And so as consumers, we can also kind of influence what packaging we want or you know, we can ask companies to use different packaging. There's kind of two different facets, I guess, to that question. Yeah, you know, I've heard some people in this space criticize the fact that it's as if the load of waste is put on the shoulders of the consumer, like you should be recycling more, you should be doing this more. And then we wish cycle because we think, hey, it has that chasing arrow symbol on it. If it has a chasing arrow symbol on it, I should be able to just throw it in the recycle bin, right? But the reality is so much of that plastic, our specific processing facility won't be able to recycle. Do you have any particular tips that relate to that for the practically minded that are trying to do good and that may not know that they were wish cycling? They may have thought, hey, I'm recycling. I'm putting it in the bin I'm supposed to. It has the chasing arrow symbol. This is what I'm supposed to do, right? Yeah, that's such a great question. And the challenge US-based is that most recycling is handled on a county-wide level. It changes pretty much every time you move. You have to, if you move to a different county or a different city, you have to think about, okay, what can actually be recycled here, which is what can't be versus like what can't be recycled here. And it takes a lot of research to kind of go and figure that out. Ideally, it's great if you can obviously reduce what actually just has to go to trash or has to go to recycling. So being very mindful of the packaging you're buying and the products you're buying and what can you do with that packaging at the end of its lifetime? Can it be composted? Can it be recycled? Is it something that's probably going to be readily recycled, like aluminum? Or is it something that some places will recycle it, some places won't? And you're going to have to really do a lot of digging. I personally have like a TerraCycle zero waste box. And so for anything that I'm not really sure how to recycle it, I put it in that. And then TerraCycle, which is a company that actually 
thrives on the idea of they can recycle anything, will figure out how to recycle it for me. I don't have the time to invest always in how do I recycle a computer cord that's broken. That's kind of my last resort. And because I am having to think about that, it's also made me much more mindful of like than buying things that can't that would go in trash. Part of it is that part of it is also just really researching what your community's guidelines are around recycling. Right. Well, I had a German individual who was asking me, oh, well, you're in California. They recycle everything, right? And I'm like, well, no. And it varies by county. And by the way, they will recycle plastic film, but only if you do X, Y, and Z to that plastic film and you put it all in one bag that is then, you know, strategically placed at the top of your recycling bin. It's like you have to go through all of these hoops in order to not muck up their, you know, recycling equipment and also ensure that they do with it what you wanted them to in the first place. So it's not a simple process, even in the areas where we have the best recycling programs. I had thought, for instance, that Tetra Pak was recyclable. And a lot of the nut milks come in Tetra Pak boxes. So those are like the boxes with a little plastic piece that comes up and allows you to go ahead and pour it out. But it's mostly made of kind of this board and lined filler on the inside to keep it from leaking, right? but they're not recyclable virtually anywhere in my neighborhood, at least. I'm hoping you can actually talk for a moment about Terra. I'm sorry, what was the company name that you mentioned? TerraCycle. TerraCycle. So that's a facility that's local to you or are they nationwide? How would people find out more about this? TerraCycle is a company out of New Jersey. Their kind of tagline is they will figure out how to recycle anything. So they have partnered with a lot of brands and do have like a ship back, free ship back programs for things like Burt's Bees or even like Colgate toothpaste. You can download actually like a shipping label on their website and ship it to them. Or they have a lot of drop-offs, like local community drop-offs for you to ship back these certain products. If you have stuff that's not in those certain products, they also have zero waste bins, which you do have to pay for. But I kind of have always looked at it as like, this is my tax for consuming and, you know, buying something that comes in packaging. So that's kind of how I can, it's a personal tax on me for my consumption. And I have the ability to pay for it. So I just consider it as a normal cost of living. So they do have zero waste boxes where they, you can just put everything in it. They will then take the the sorting out of it and figure out how to recycle it. They also have another program as well called Loop, which is essentially they're doing aluminum canisters, kind of like a milkman type of a model. Yeah, I think they did that with Haagen-Dazs and a couple of other cereal brands, if I remember correctly. Exactly. Yeah. So you can either have it shipped directly to your door or pick it up at like a Walgreens. And they're doing like stuff with larger brands to kind of help reduce waste around consumer goods, just so that that way it can kind of come in reusable packaging. But the things that you're bringing up really go back to the same thing where it's complex for a consumer to figure out how to recycle their goods so that it just doesn't end up in landfill. Like for instance, I'm an avid runner. I've recycled my running shoes through my local running shop who has donated all these old running shoes to like become treks at high schools and stuff like that. Like they actually use it, the rubber in them to build the surface of the tracks for running, right? Which is really cool, like full circle thing. But some of those programs are even now shuttered. So 
it's a little bit challenging to even find out what to do with those because, hey, they're beyond their wear. But if the materials could be used, that would be super cool. Another thing that kind of went by the wayside is um, my printer cartridges. They used to come with like a ship back to the manufacturer and they'll refill them box. And I noticed that that printer cartridge had a shift in it and no longer seemed to be a ready to ship back thing. So I then found another recycler online that will take, you have to send eight at a time. So I'm storing them until I have gone through two sets of my printer cartridges and then I'll ship them to this other company that will then, you know, refill them and reuse them and sell them back into the market. But this takes a lot of effort. The solutions that I think we need are a little bigger, and that's precisely what your book is about. Let's go to your book. Is there a particular passage that you think encapsulates some of what it's about or that you just want to kind of point to? Yeah, that really sums it up well. Of As individuals, we can certainly make individual change, but we do kind of need to rebuild our entire system. What I was really thinking about with my book was how can we build businesses that aren't just using sustainability as kind of a a nice side kind of piece, but are really embedding sustainability into their ethos? And companies that are actually turning literal trash into their products, that's a pretty solid embedded sustainability uh, context, essentially, or piece. One of the companies that I think is is really interesting and kind of models as well is called Econil or Aquafil. So the product they create is called Econil. The company itself is called Aquafil. It's a nylon six, which is most commonly used in fishing nets, but also in a lot of carpeting, a lot of now athleisure wear, that type of stuff is where we see nylon six. What the founder of that though actually did was basically he'd been involved in textiles in Italy for a long time, found a way to wholly recycle nylon six. So you don't lose any of the product and you don't lose any of the durability of it, which is really important. Problem we had was you couldn't get enough nylon six to actually do this at a scalable level. So he created a couple of nonprofits to actually go and have them collect dead ghost nets um, Mm -hmm. in the ocean Mm -hmm. to be able to collect enough, store it in warehouses in Eastern Europe and then have it be converted into textiles. They're now doing also, they'll take back like recycled carpets. They'll take a lot of anything pretty much that is nylon six. They'll figure out how to recycle it. And then they're reselling it as swimwear, as carpeting, um, as other things, and can still then take it back and keep using it. The, The spark for that though was just, he was like, this is really expensive to keep creating nylon. How can we reuse it? So what is nylon six? You said nylon six, like the number six? Yeah, like the like the number six. So it's just a specific type of this nylon that is standard in fishing nets, a lot of carpets um, as well. It just happens to be that particular chemical makeup. Yeah. And I mean, that's a lot of what ends up washed up on the shores of beaches. I remember when my husband and I were on our honeymoon, I had decided I wanted to see the sun rise over the Pacific Ocean because I live on the West Coast of California. I only see the sun set over it. And it was our second night on our honeymoon. So we still hadn't adjusted to the Hawaiian time yet. I'm like up early why don't we go watch the sunrise? We hike out across all these beautiful golf courses and through resorts. And then suddenly we're on the frontage road between the Lahui airport and the beach. But it's just this like small strip of sand and a super rocky beach that nobody goes to aside from locals for some throw net fishing. And it was literally littered with everything you could imagine. 
exclusively left flip-flops, a ton of them, which it turns out is due to fluvial transport, which is like how the currents work with the shape of the flip-flop, which is why all the left flip-flops ended out on this beach and not the right ones. The right ones are probably on a different beach, maybe on a different island even, right? Or maybe they're part of that giant sea mass, like ocean mound that's um, out there, practically an island of trash, right? So that's there, all these fishing nets, detergent bottles, buoys. What are those things that they have as bumpers on the boats? They throw them over the side so they don't bump against the docks. All, like Just tons of this stuff. And I was looking at this at the, in the midst of also seeing these tiny little what looked like bird tracks that head to the ocean, right? But they were not bird tracks. They were sea turtle tracks, like baby sea turtles that had just you know come out of their nests. I could see the hole where the nest once was and all these little tracks. And I'm looking out in this pre-dawn time, seeing all of these nets and mounds and just imagining, here's these little babies trying to get to the ocean, to their estuary, and they have to climb over all this stuff. They already have predatory birds that eat them and all sorts of other stuff that they have to you know, manage and get through. They're already on the endangered list in so many areas. They're already suffering from cancerous tumors and other things because of the trash in the oceans that they end up eating. And they have to deal with this. So we cleared a path from the remaining nests that we could see and spent all of our water and our early hours to do that so that they could have a little bit of a shot. But we were two people alone and there were mounds of this stuff, right? It just revealed to me how ubiquitous this problem is, how global it is, and how we as an entire global species need to be thinking about this challenge. Anyway, that's my diatribe for the day, I think. <laughs> no, and, and it's very similar kind of to my experience in Boracay of just like, wow, we really have to do something because we cannot continue as normal or else we're just going to be covered in trash. One of the things that really struck me as I was doing my research for this book was this idea that we have the pyramids of Egypt we see from you know ancient Egyptians. We see all these kind of ancient structures as kind of the the hallmark of all of these other, you know, the Colosseum, all these things. The most recognizable future thing from our generation is going to be the, the potato chip bag as far as like kind of our future. It's not going to be that we're going to leave pyramids or other things. We're leaving behind potato chips bags for our legacy. And that was kind of something that really struck me as this is something we have to change. And what is a potato chip bag made of? Is it mylar and plastic? What is it exactly? Believe so. I don't know the exact makeup of it, but essentially it doesn't break down. It will break into pieces, but it really doesn't break down as a product. And it's not simply just that. There's obviously plenty of other things that we have, but the fact that that's kind of the hallmark. Our generation of trash consumers. Yeah. So, I mean, what we all have to get towards, like it's one thing to reduce consumption, but it's quite another to say, we're just not going to produce it anymore. I mean, ideally, I think that would be the space that we need to get to. I am seeing innovations around turning sea plastics into things like bricks that can be used to construct homes and things along those lines. But the problem continues to get bigger and bigger. And that floating mass of plastic in the middle of our Pacific Ocean is how big now? I mean, I can't recall the latest figures on it, but I think it was the size of France the last I saw. 
yeah, the Great Pacific Garbage Patch and and all of the the gyres in the ocean have significant amounts of pollution. Uh, it's estimated that every human currently has a credit card's worth of plastic in their body, which is just of microplastics. Yeah, I had heard as much as a credit card of plastic consumed each week from just the food that we eat. I was actually in a, a room on Clubhouse recently hosting a session on Care More Be Better and just um, opening a conversation around waste and sustainable minimalism. And one of the uh, attendees shared that, you know, they grew up in a different country. And I don't want to reveal too much because it's their story, but they did say that they were instructed every you know day to go throw their trash in the river. And that was just part of the culture. It was endemic there. And it's not like we can sit there and blame the culture. What we sh really should be looking at is the economic disparity that made that common practice because people don't just automatically want to pollute their own rivers. They do so because they don't have the means to take care of it in another way. And they are often those that are just consuming what they're able to as opposed to necessarily what they want to and may come with whatever packaging it just comes in and that's the reality of life. So I think at the same time that we talk about these challenges and we want to work through them, we really have to think from a solutions perspective that people aren't necessarily polluting their environments because they want to. It's almost something that they have done because it feels like there's no other choice. And so the global perspective we need to take is one of helping all communities around the globe to rise up so that we can essentially be seen as one people and not like this culture is the dumping ground of the world because, hey, guess what? We're all in it together. We are one species. We're the human race. Let's do this together. So, I mean, it's just uh, the perspective I'm taking and I'm hearing more and more of this conversation kind of coming up from cultures all around the world where people are looking for solutions. It's a sign of the times that I think people are getting really ready for a serious shift in how we look at consumerism. Let's talk about the companies that are doing really great things in your estimation. Like who should our audience support? At this point in time, who do you think is doing a really good job, if anyone? There are some big companies and there are some small companies that are doing a great job. And I think the thing that I think that really kind of stands out for these founders is they do a couple of things extremely well. So they're very creative. They value trash, not just as like, oh, it has no value. I'm going to just throw it away. They see it as having value and they see a way to recreate it and reuse it in some form. They also, I think, do a really great job of living interconnectedly, which is something you just brought up um, in kind of, we are all in this together. We all share this one planet. And because they kind of have this value of trash and this value of the planet, I think they also have a unique value of other people and people around them. And so that they really kind of want to also embrace a lot of strong employee practices. They really are trying to think about how does this product impact the people that are using it, working in the company, all these types of things. So I think that there's kind of this really does all connect. And then they're also very scrappy and kind of resourceful in figuring things out. There's one company that actually is a composting company and they had been told they had to buy this like $65,000 piece of equipment. 
they like DIY, they DIY it for like $2,000 and <laughs> it works. And they were like, that's what we had to do. Like, and I think that that's really kind of, that's partially just being an entrepreneur and like, you have to just figure it out. And that is kind of also looking for what's available and how can I creatively problem solve. And so I think that those are the things that we really kind of as consumers and as business leaders, those are th- like things that we can definitely embrace in our, in our lives. So the companies I think do a really great job of this. Patagonia definitely comes to mind. They will take back any of their products. They also emphasize repairing their products worn and wear. keeping them. Mm-hmm. Worn wear is one mm-hmm. of my favorites, but they also emphasize a lot of, you know, keep your product for as long as possible. And I think that that cannot be underestimated as a huge way of preventing trash is just using what you have. So I think that they, as a big company, do a great job with that. There's a lot of really like localized solutions. So it kind of depends on the industry because there's also quite a few companies that do remanufacturing, which is basically taking something that has been used and bringing it back up to the manufacturer's specifications. So it's often done in things like airplanes, uh, airplane equipment. Caterpillar actually does a lot of remanufacturing for their engines and their cores. So we don't necessarily think about it, but it's kind of that industrial side of continuing to keep things in use for as long as possible. But remanufacturing office furniture or furniture in general is also very common. And that's great because it has to be a very localized business because it doesn't make sense to ship furniture a lot. So it's Mm -hmm. often a very localized remanufacturing business, which provides local jobs, uh, also allows local businesses to get furniture much cheaper because it's been remanufactured, but it's still just as good. So it's kind of thinking through things like that. One of the other companies, yeah, Rust Belt Riders, who is in Cleveland, they're a composting company. And what I really like about them is that they did not set out to start a business. They were waiters in a restaurant. They were also helping out in their local community garden. And they were just like realizing that they didn't have good enough soil in the community garden. So they were like, what can we do? They started taking food scraps from the restaurant. But they were doing it with their bicycles, right? Like they were filling like these little trolleys on their bicycle. I remember seeing them in the news when they first kind of broke broke out, I think. Yeah, they hitched a trailer somehow to their mountain bike (laughs) and they just figured it out. These aren't necessarily going to be like get rich quick businesses that we always see as like, you know, kind of the, the like sexy startups. But they're still awesome businesses that are really worthwhile to build. And they still are creating a ton of value within their communities. They're still able to employ people. They're still doing a lot of really cool things. And so I think that it is definitely... They think long-term. And I think having that kind of in our communities is really important. Yeah. you know, I do some things in my own home that people living in the city can't necessarily do because I have some land, right? For those that are living in a city like in Cleveland or in San Francisco or Chicago or New York, there are solutions available where you can participate in a composting program, even if you don't have the ability to compost yourself. So I think just highlighting those things is really important. I also am completely open to sharing my story of composting with anybody who cares to hear it. I mean, I got my start thinking I wanted to vermicompost specifically because I wanted, you know, that black gold for my gardening. But after a while, really found managing the worms a little tedious. So I ended up paying forward my red wigglers to somebody else who could then use them in their own composting journey, along with my home created kit, which just used basically these, you know, bins that I drilled holes in. 
And now I'm just using an outdoor composting piece that actually touches the soil. So the underneath of it is open because it does that insects from the environment come in like all the the beetles and worms and whatnot. And they help, you know, get it all sorted and it delivers great soil for my gardening. It's amazing. So it's not that hard to maintain (laughs) and it doesn't take that much space. Yeah. And even like I live in an apartment in Miami, but I still, I just put my compostable stuff in the freezer and I drop it off at a local community farm when I can, because I missed having compost. There's always ways to make it work kind of in your, wherever you are kind of in that space of life, if you can try to find a solution. And I think another point that came up uh, when I interviewed Stephanie Zafarian, who wrote Sustainable Minimalist um, just a few weeks ago, she just really has that hard-lined rule of not accepting excessive packaging into her home. And so that means when she goes grocery shopping, making specific choices, we talked about, you know, using your own recycled bags and things along those lines. Less of that is actually available right now in the midst of COVID. But what I've started to do is just say, put it all back in the cart, and then I put it in my bags at my trunk Maybe it takes me a couple more minutes to get out of my parking space, but I'm not holding up the line at the grocery store by packing my own bags or anything like that either. So it just works out. And then I don't feel so guilty about putting all this plastic or paper, like cutting down trees to just have for a single use. So I think people can think practically about the small changes they can make in order to just reduce their impact as much as possible through these you know, minor inconveniences. It's a very minor thing to just repackage it on my trunk. Yeah, it is. And it's also kind of thinking through, like for instance, when I'm trying to buy something, let's say I'm evaluating, I want to buy, I don't know, kombucha or something. It's important to kind of evaluate like, oh, this is in a glass bottle and I know there's not recycling available for that right where I am. So, okay, do I get the plastic or do I get something in aluminum? Like what are my options? Um, and kind of also looking at like those types of things. Well, I brewed my own kombucha for a while and it's not that hard to do either. So my husband just complained about, he didn't like the acidic smell of it or, you know, and I'm just like, okay. So I moved it into a different room and then I forgot about it for a while. So It'll I, be fine. I also have my own. Um, and like that, yeah, that was kind of my, my COVID project was besides writing a book was Brewing kombucha. It's actually a really fun COVID project. Yeah, and it's not that difficult. You can make whatever flavors you like. I put ginger and lemon and stuff like that in it too. So I did do a double fermentation that exploded all over my kitchen. So um. learn how to do double <laughs> fermentation before you do it. I had kombucha everywhere. So lesson learned. Pay attention to like the rules of double fermentation before you double ferment something. Yeah, I never (laughs) went there. So my kids love it too. So that's actually really nice. I figure it's probably the only way they get caffeine right now, but they get very little bit of it. I water it down. I would love for you to go ahead and explain the phrase that you use in your materials, think regeneratively. Yeah. So that together. Regenerative has kind of gotten a lot of buzz lately. And it wasn't quite necessarily when I was kind of in the process of writing, it wasn't really being thought about yet. But for me, Think Regeneratively is really about thinking about the long-term use of the product that you're using, not just, hey, I'm going to go and buy X, use it and throw it away. But thinking about, okay, what is the thing that I actually need this to do? How can I get that? And then what can I do with it after? It's kind of thinking through, I guess, 
the whole process around whatever it is that you require. So I try to think through it as like, is there a creative, a different kind of creative solution? I needed sheets for my apartment. And like, I was just like, textile recycling is not like readily available in Miami. I can donate them after, but I don't really want to have to like do it. I can go and get them secondhand and then, you know, donate them. Is there another, but then I just started thinking about like, is there another company that like will take, I can buy them and like they'll take them back and take responsibility for their recycling. Found out there is a company that would do that. Don't just think about I'm buying X for right now, but what's the kind of long-term path for whatever I'm buying? And also in businesses, it's also thinking about like, we need to create a widget, some sort of a widget, you know, something. Do we need to buy raw materials for that? Or can we be more cost-effective? Is there somebody around us who's actually producing something that is similar enough to what we need as our raw material? And how can we kind of transform that into our requirement? So I think it's it's kind of thinking creatively. It's thinking a little bit longer term. Um, I really like the idea of, you know, thinking for seven generations from now, what is kind of the impact of, of this? Yeah, I um, have been struggling with the concept of minimalism of late, partially because I don't want to get rid of things that still have a useful life. As a big sustainability advocate, like the binders that I'm still using for my last term of graduate school, I think I've used probably 10 times over the course of my entire education path. And then I think, oh, I'll hold on to them because my boys can use these. And these 20-year-old binders that I'm using now. I wonder if you consider yourself a minimalist and what you would say about that particular path. I would say I'm intentional about what I buy. So I'm more of a conscious consumer. But I still definitely have stuff. I'm now at the point where I like the phrase, use it up, wear it out, make it do or do without. If I have it, um, okay, and I still have, say that again because that's absolutely yeah. Use it up, wear it out, make it do or do without. I love it. I think I'm putting that on my wall. <laughs> it's actually it was a phrase from. It's actually was used during times of war when there was rationing, and so it was kind of this idea of when you're at the home, like in the home front of like, hey, we're rationing things, so use what you got. It still works now though. If I have a reason for keeping something or for buying something that I really want, I, I definitely still do it. But I'm intentional about how I buy things. So I don't make big purchases right away. I tend to think about them for about a month. Um, and that's just also being like more conscious of my money and my, my spending. And I tend to research very carefully what I do buy. But I do think it's important to, to be aware of what you're buying. You know, like your binders, those still have a purpose. They're still very much usable. If you're happy with them and they're not, you know, causing too much clutter, then like keep them, use them. Uh, There's not much point in throwing away something that has a purpose. And so if there's something that I don't need and I can find someone who does need it, then I absolutely will, you know, give it to them. I love to travel and I would always bring back stuff from my travels. So I just have this very eclectic collection of different decorations and, you know, clothing and things from all my different travels. And I still want to keep like that, those also, for lack of a better term, spark joy. Thank you to Marie Kondo. <laughs> um, so I, I think I kind of, 
I don't want to say I hate anybody, but I get so tired of hearing, like, does it bring joy to you? I'm like, well, maybe it doesn't bring joy, but it's really good at opening a can or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, there are things that I find I need that may not spark joy. How close are you to living a zero waste lifestyle now? Ooh, I love that question. Um, so I am not perfectly zero waste. I will be candid about it. I always try to be better, but also during COVID, there's a lot of things that I just have had to accept are, you know, I can't, I can't always take my coffee, like take a coffee mug into a coffee shop and have them. They're not letting you. Yeah, exactly. So I've had to kind of accept that there are things that I are now just going to go to waste. I do my best to minimize it and to really think about it and to find other routes. But I do still produce some trash. And I think that the important thing here is I'd rather have 100 people who are reducing their waste than one person who is zero waste. It's really about my main thing here is it's a journey for everyone. Everyone's on a different part of that journey. It is great to be zero waste as an individual, but there are so many other things. It's just not always practical depending on your lifestyle. Um with children. You know, yeah, with kids, exactly. Um, and so I think, and I think it sets, it sets a very unrealistic expectation of trying to be perfect. Whereas actually like being imperfect is probably, you know, if most of us were imperfectly zero waste, we'd still be doing a lot better than we currently are. Well, we're about to hit water restrictions in the summer here in California. So do you have any recommendations from that perspective? Ooh, that is such a great question. Um, I have actually never lived through a water restriction period. That Mm. is being in Ohio. That unfortunately was not something that we experienced. (laughs) You get summer rain. Yeah, we do. I've always tried to do my best to reduce my water consumption and be thoughtful about how I can reuse it. So I even have, my mom has a dehumidifier and she's realized she can fill a bucket from the dehumidifier and take it and water her plants. I did learn recently that they're using algae, for instance, at water treatment plants to eat the nitrogen and phosphorus and other nutrients that are in the water itself. So the byproduct then becomes oxygen, which is super cool, right? So, you know, there's not as many concerns about waste in environments where they're doing that successfully, I think. But the couple of things I do, I've installed some rain barrels so that those rain barrels collect rainwater and then I can use that to go ahead and water my plants. But I also installed a funnel to the rain barrel (laughs) to take bath water from my boy's bath if we didn't use shampoo or whatever, and I'll just take buckets of it and put it in there. I also recently learned the tip that you take a favorite song that's about three or four minutes long, and you just play it when you start your shower. And because you know the song and you get a feeling for when it's going to end, it's not like suddenly you still have soap in your hair when that that song's about to finish. You like get what three minutes is. So I think that's at least a somewhat joyful way to save a little bit of water, put a favorite song on when you're in the shower. And yeah, you know, having a bucket under you in the shower, you know, you can, it'll capture the water. You can use that to water your garden. So, I mean, there are so many little ways to do that. Um, I also just think composting is way easier than people give it credit for. Consider doing that if you grow any of your produce at your own home. Before we kind of wrap things up, I wanted to see if there was anything in particular that you wish we'd talked about that we hadn't and or something that you want to leave our audience with, some gem. Ooh, uh, my gem is just 
start now thinking about how you can use trash differently in your life. I was at my grandmother's house the other day and she still has all of these jars that she has saved. They're old mason jars. I'm like, these would be a fortune in a thrift store. Mm-hmm. Um, but she just saves them. And I think that's something where it's kind of thinking through you know, your consumption today. How can you reuse things, whether it's a jelly jar that you turn into a cup in your house, whether it's compost, whether it's, you know, researching how to get more food locally, whatever that may be, there's really no right or wrong way to start. But the important thing is that we all have to start and kind of move along that path. Please come and join us and really appreciate you, uh, Karina, for having me. And this is just such an awesome podcast because I think it really provides a lot of different ways to kind of move along this path. Well, thank you so much, Kelsey. It's been my pleasure. Now, I would like for you to talk for a moment about how to get your book and the best ways to connect with you because I know you have your own website too. Awesome. Yeah. So uh, my book is available on Amazon. Just search for my name, Kelsey Rumberg, R-U-M-B-U-R-G, or Trash to Treasure. It is available there. And I also have my own website. Feel free to ping me on that. It's kelseyrumberg.com or trash to treasure mindset.com. I'm also on Instagram, trash to treasure mindset and Twitter, trash to cash book. Trash to cash. That's the second sequel, right? You're going to have to create that book now. <laughs> God, I love Twitter for only having 15 characters. So we got creative. I know I had to do care more, be better and leave out the final E and better for both Twitter and clubhouse. <laughs> Classic. You have to be creative, you know? And so at least I make it funny. Let's say, leave out the final E and better. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time. This has been a lot of fun for me. And talking about trash and giving it a second life is just something that I care a lot about it. So thank you. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you, Kelsey, for your time today, for educating us and helping us find the silver lining in a trash-heaped world. I look forward to hosting a similar room with you again soon on Clubhouse so we can engage our community. That means you, listeners, and harness our collective good for change. Now, I'd like to invite all of you to act. That action could be as simple as sharing this podcast with people in your community or even just getting an electronic copy of Kelsey Rumberg's book, Trash to Treasure. It could be as simple as following the links that I share in show notes. To find suggestions like these, visit our action page at caremorebebetter.com. And again, I invite you to join the conversation and be a part of the community we're building. You can follow us on social spaces and connect with us live voice to voice on Clubhouse each week. Links to our social platforms and to Kelsey's book are included in the show notes. You can send us a DM on any platform, or you can email me directly at hello at caremorebebetter.com. Thank you listeners now and always for being a part of this pod and this community, because together we really can do so much more. Thanks for listening to Care More, Be Better, a podcast for social good. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. And share with your friends to help us reach more people and spread more social good.